Good morning, Church of the City. Today we are continuing the series we call Following Jesus, Everyday Rhythms for Deep Communion. In these first few weeks, we're looking at what Ken Shigematsu in his book, God in My Everything, calls roots of our walk with God. So some foundational rhythms and spiritual disciplines that, that shape the rest of our rule of life. When we talk about rule of life, we're talking about those, those habits of spiritual formation that can help us flesh out this walk with Jesus, that lay down some tracks that we can travel on, or a trellis, as Shigematsu uses that image, that, that supports the life of a growing plant. The trellis, the tracks, they're not the main thing, they're what help us do the main thing, which is walk with Jesus and grow this deeper communion with God. And we want to receive these disciplines, this trellis, these tracks, as gracious gifts from God, as embodied creatures. He's given us embodied practices. So of these foundational rhythms, these roots, last week we began with Sabbath. Next week we'll be looking at sacred reading in Scripture. Today's focus is prayer. Whenever I talk about prayer, I feel like I at a, or should be at a 12, some kind of 12-step program. Hi, my name's Mike. I really struggle with prayer. Um, I think if I started a group like that, I'd probably have a number of people join me, for, if we're honest. I don't, I, don't, I don't hear a lot of Christians that I talk to say, man, I am really thriving in my prayer life. It's something we, we feel we should be praying, and, and yet many of us feel we're just not where we ought to be in this life of prayer. And it's good to admit this. Radical acceptance and I don't want us to see God hammering us over the head. I don't want you to hear that voice and think it's God in your head saying, why can't you get it? Why are you so bad at prayer? Why do you struggle so badly with this? We want to be honest, assess where we're at, find areas of growth, and believe that God wants us to grow. And that this is a process. It doesn't just come naturally. You don't, you're not just born with the ability to pray well. You don't just become a Christian and automatically know how to have a life of prevailing prayer. It's something we need to learn. I do believe the desire for followers of Jesus is there deep down. The Spirit is willing. But as with everything else, the flesh can be weak. And hence we need these disciplines to cultivate rhythms and practices of prayer and not just be haphazard. Your, your rule might look different than mine. There will be common elements, common principles, but there's room for, for personalizing all this. That's one of the really great things about Shigematsu's book and why we're using it to help give uh, the shape of this series. And uh, many of you in MCs are following along with that book, or maybe you're not an MC and are following along. Uh, we'd encourage you to do that as well. But um, we need these healthy disciplines to, to Yes, to, to help us learn, uh, not just learn how to pray, but then to take what we're learning and to live it out. So we have this desire, and we know from what Spencer has said already in this series, there, there are three elements to this, to building a rule. We have to think about our desire 
and about disciplines. And we also need divine help for all this. So the desire deep down for prayer is there, even though we admit we struggle. And we want to ultimately look at our rhythms and develop healthy disciplines for prayer. What I want to focus mainly on today is the divine help that we need. So we need to learn how to pray. We need to learn specifically how to pray as Jesus disciples, to learn how to pray according to God's will. And we need to know that when we pray, it matters. That God is listening. That God will answer. Because ultimately, if, we, if deep in our heart we don't really know how to pray or what to pray for, or we don't really believe God's listening or will answer us, all the discipline in the world isn't going to help. It'll keep you going for a while. You'll run out of steam. You'll show up at those times you set apart for prayer without the confidence you need to really pray. We need divine help to move us in this direction. And Jesus gives us the divine help we need in the passage that Becky read for us. The Bible teaches a lot about prayer in many different places. This is a foundational place. Jesus teaches a lot about prayer, but this is his foundational teaching about prayer. So it's good to, to come to it, to lay a foundation. I'm sure many of you have laid this foundation. You're familiar with its contents. It's good to come back, to revisit the foundations, to keep assessing where we're at, to keep growing. There are three takeaways I want us to see in this passage. Three takeaways for how this passage helps to shape our prayer lives. Uh, and, the, and the very first one is simply this. We need Jesus to teach us to pray. I just want us to recognize that, first of all. We need Jesus to teach us to pray. So he's praying one day in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord... Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus goes on and gives the Lord's Prayer as a way of answering this request. Notice Jesus teaches us to pray in two ways here. First of all, by his example. This passage begins with the disciple seeing that Jesus was praying. And as Jesus came back, he said, Lord, teach us to pray too. Nobody lived a more fruitful life on earth than Jesus. No one was greater than Jesus. And you say, of course, he was the son of God. And he was the divine son of God. And this is the major reason why he lived this life. But in his incarnation, in his human life, everything he did, everything he accomplished, everything he grew to be, grew out of and flowed out of a life of deep communion and dependent prayer with the Father. The disciples saw this. And they didn't think, oh, yeah, he's doing his son of God thing, getting alone with God. They saw him praying, and they said, he's our Lord. He's the one shaping our way of life. Lord, teach us to pray too. So the very first thing Jesus teaches us is that it is right for us to be setting aside regular times of getting alone with God for prayer. That's not everything in a rule of life as far as prayer goes, but that is foundational, getting alone for regular times of communion with God. So Jesus teaches us by setting an example, and then he teaches us explicitly. He gives instruction through this prayer, but it's just the fact that the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. That's significant for us here. 
I'm sure these guys knew how to pray in a certain way. Jesus' early followers, they were all sons of Israel. They had grown up in synagogue, in temple. They knew the Psalms, and yet they want to learn how to pray. They know something new, something different is here. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God, the good news. How do we pray as your disciples? And this is what we need to learn, how to pray as Jesus' disciples. And so he teaches us. Again, the Bible has a lot of different teachings on prayer. Sometimes the focus is our communion with God, and uh, Shigematsu's chapter on prayer is called Friendship with God. That's a wonderful dimension of prayer. Sometimes the teaching on prayer is about how we unburden our souls and uh, lift our anxieties to God in prayer and find peace as we do that. Jesus' focus here, and this is the second takeaway, his focus here is on using prayer taking prayer as an opportunity to flip our priorities right side up, to shape our hearts, our minds, the direction of our lives in a kingdom Godward direction. So what you pray for is a reflection of your priorities, and what you pray for can shape your priorities. And Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer as a foundational way of shaping our priorities and flipping them right side up, because this is what we need. We're born into this world in a fallen human condition, and our tendency is to curve inward and focus on ourselves. Even if we're nice and somewhat altruistic people, we still can be, are, ultimately self-absorbed, self-focused and our focus naturally tends to the here and now, our material needs, getting uh, our best life. We're, just, we're all in that boat. And being called by Jesus and reconciled to God it begins a lifelong process of flipping this all right side up. I mean, you matter. Your needs matter. And God absolutely cares. But... I'm not meant to be the central focus of my life. And if I start with me and my needs, I'm upside down. I need Jesus to get things right. One of the ways he does that is by teaching us to pray the right way. And he expects that this prayer would be something, not just that we pray occasionally, but that is a regular part of our lives. Whenever you pray, say. Now, you could take that really literally, and if you do a daily office or something like that, like they take that literally. Every time you pray, you pray the Lord's Prayer. It can be prayed as is. It can also serve as a paradigm, like an outline of prayer. We're more familiar with the version in Matthew. It has more details. Luke's is more scaled down. In fact, I can't, I was trying to think, I can't think of a time ever when in church and any public or private setting, actually prayed Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. We normally pray Matthew's, um, which is fine, and Matthew's is wonderful, but I like Luke's today, it's a scaled-down version, because it contains the same basic elements and has the same basic shape and direction, and it is the shape and direction that is very instructive in flipping our priorities right side up. So, just a quick walk through this prayer to see this. First of all, where does it begin? This wonderful address to God, Father. 
You might say, of course, that's God's heavenly Father. That's how we pray to God. This was radical when Jesus said it. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as Father 15 times. And never, he's never addressed that way in prayer in the Old Testament. Jesus is revealing in a deeper way who God is in our relationship to him. And when we have been reconciled to God through Christ, he is our Father. The almighty, sovereign, all-powerful, holy God is your loving Father. And Jesus wants you to reckon that every time you come to him in prayer. A Father is powerful. A Father has authority. A Father cares for you. And you have a, a personal relationship with the Father. And that's how Jesus wants you to come to God. First petition, your name be honored as holy. We pray for God's name, for, for who God is, for everything is, for all his greatness to be known. God gets a lot of bad press. A lot of misinformation there about who God is. There's misunderstanding. There's, there's downright hostility. Sometimes God's own people give him a bad name, a bad reputation. In our driving prayer, very first prayer is, God, we want you to be known in all your greatness. And think of this in concentric circles. In my life, in my family, in my church, in my community, in this world, God, you are the living, perfect God, may more and more people know it, know truth as it is. Second petition, your kingdom come. May your rule be established everywhere. May all of life conform to your wonderful, gracious rule, that there would be shalom, flourishing of life, peace everywhere. May your kingdom touch down even now, even as we long for the future, final, full coming of the kingdom. Our longing should be for the coming of the kingdom of God here and in the future. So this is the first half of the prayer. And it, see, it's flipped our priorities. It's all Godward. Jesus is saying, don't start with yourself and your needs. Curve out, look up, come before God. Now you're in a place to come with your needs. And they are simply stated here, give us each day our daily bread as shorthand for those basic material needs of life. And he doesn't elaborate. It's simple and for a purpose. You matter. Your needs matter. God cares. Remember, he clothes the flowers beautifully. He feeds the birds of the air. He cares about your needs. But there is a, a simplicity here. It's not a prayer for, for riches. It's not a prayer for the best job, your best life. God wants us to bring all these concerns to him, but there's a, when your focus is on the kingdom and your priority is getting flipped right side up, it relativizes these needs. We really need them. But we trust in God's provisions for the basics. And we don't just pray these for ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread. So we pray for our family. We pray for our friends. We pray sometimes for strangers when someone has given us a request. We can pray for enemies who are in need. So we do pray for these needs. But as the personal petitions continue, they take a more uh, spiritual focus. We're not trying to minimize that you know, we're embodied souls and all that, but notice it's forgive us our sins. 
forgiven once for all when we repent and come to faith in Jesus. There's a need for ongoing confession, maintaining that relationship with God, and also releasing, as we're in prayer, any debts we have against others. Maybe those relations aren't even reconciled yet, but releasing people of debts so we're not trying to come before God and repent while we're still holding bitterness and grudge against others. That wouldn't work. So they're connected here. But we're doing relationship work. We're dealing with sin here in our prayer. And then the last petition, bring us not into temptation. In other words, God, lead us away from temptation. Or as we know we're going to come into it, this prayer also would mean, help us to resist when temptation comes. Help us to not be overcome by the enemy when he prowls around and tries to devour us. So notice that the shape of it, it's Godward and then it moves to our needs and even when it comes to the needs, the focus is largely on those spiritual matters. Again, keep coming back to this because I, I know the kind of church this is and I love it. Earthy, real. We don't want to be like these heavenly people who don't impact real life here and now and I want to be like that too. But here's what, here's the truth. Jesus, God your Father, cares a whole lot more about who you are, about your relationship with him and your relationship with others and your ability to grow in Christ-likeness and put sin to death and not be overcome by the enemy. Then he cares about how much stuff you have or what you have and where you work. Those matter, those details are temporal. These other things relationship with God, with others. These are the fruits that carry on into eternity. So there is a priority focus on these without neglecting the practicalities and the felt needs of life. So there's the shape of the prayer. Here's how Jesus flips our priorities upside down. And probably a lot of people say, I, I know this. I, I know this is the way it's supposed to be. But maybe for some, this is newer and you haven't actually thought through the elements and the, the shape of this prayer and how it shapes us. But in applying it then, whether you're familiar with it or not, if you look back over your prayer life, say over the last month, and just try to scan in your mind what that's looked like, would you say it reflects the movement of the Lord's Prayer? What proportion, of, where, where do your prayers begin first of all? Do they jump right to your needs? Do they start with this adoration, this setting of the compass on God? Do they move to your needs as they should? Do the, do the needs and the personal needs take up the, the main space and the, the primary amount of your, your prayers? Or is the proportion off? So, again, without judgment, just with honesty and with a desire to grow, you look at your prayer over the last month, watch your prayer over the coming week, and ask these questions and shape and reshape your prayer life according to the priorities that Jesus gives us in the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus teaches us to pray. He sets an example and he teaches us graciously and this is helping us learn how to pray. And then, as I said earlier, we need to actually have the confidence to know that God is listening, that our prayers matter, that he hears us, that he will answer. Jesus wants to drive this point home. He urges us here. 
in the second half of this teaching on prayer to, to pray with boldness, with persistence, with confidence. He tells a parable, and then he comments on the parable. The, the parable itself, it's one of those ones, it's, I find, I was, it's interesting, I find it a little confusing, but that's okay, the, the main point Jesus makes clear enough. But it's about this guy showing up at a friend's house in the middle of the night and banging on his door and asking for bread because someone has shown up at his house at this late hour of the day needing food. Jesus wants us to put ourselves in the shoes of the guy in, in the middle, the guy who's going to his friends to ask for the food. We're the people making the request. He says, suppose one of you has a friend and, and you go to him at midnight. So we're the one going to this person at midnight. Asking for bread because I've got to feed a friend. The request itself for bread is not unusual. The values of hospitality in that ancient Near Eastern culture, as in the Middle Eastern culture today, hospitality is an arch value. So your friend shows up, it's, you're going to give them a place to stay and put food on the table. Showing up at your neighbor's house and saying, I've got to show hospitality, but I don't have food. Can you give me some food? That guy would recognize hospitality dictates. I'm going to provide you with this food. He's going to pay him back. He says, lend me three loaves of bread. It's always funny. Hey, lend me something. You're going to consume. I'll pay you. But he's going to pay him back. With some other loaves or maybe some money or maybe I'll just, maybe it's just the way of saying, they know you get me this time, I'll get you next time. Whatever. The request itself isn't unusual. It's the time of day that's a problem. It's the middle of the night. It's a strange hour to show up at someone's house, but it does happen. I've driven to New York City to visit my brother and his family two times. The first time I showed up at 3 a.m. The second time I rolled in at 3.30 a.m. I tend to get on the road a little later than planned. I kind of stop and smell the flowers along the way. Let's go for a nice walk in this cute village type of person. And there's a consequence for that. You show up in the middle of the night. My brother and his family, they open the door, give us a bed. There's no food. <laughs> They're not breaking out a meal in the middle of the night. In this culture, it made sense that people would arrive later in the day. It's too hot to travel in the high heat of day, you travel more in the morning, in the afternoon, you'd arrive later in the day. Even here, the idea is this, this is a little unusual that someone would arrive this late. But you, you can't send a text or a phone call to let them know you're coming. You just show up. Here I am. It's midnight and I'm hungry. So let's eat. So this guy, he doesn't have any food. He, I guess not expecting this, he goes to the neighbor. Again, the, the request itself isn't the problem, it's the timing. And the neighbor, he's, he says, what are you doing? I'm asleep. You've got this little one-room house and everyone just sleeps on mats in the same place, big wooden bolt locking the door and to get up and to move that bolt. And even the knocking itself, I'm sure, has already woken the children. He says, what are you doing? I've got to admit, I sympathize with this guy. He's presented in the parable as being a bit curmudgeonly. But I kind of get it, right? Like, his kids are asleep. Waking a sleeping child is a crime. If you're a parent, you know that. My sister has a three-month-old. The baby sleeps in about 45-minute shifts. 
My sister gets, if she's lucky, a three-hour block of sleep at any given time in a row. If you show up at my sister's house in the middle of the night looking for bread, you're not getting it. Uh, This parable is going to end very differently. And, And my sister's a nice person. So, it's the late hour. And the part that's confusing is how this whole parable ends. Because Jesus, it sounds like the guy's not going to get up and do it. And then Jesus says the guy is going to get up and do it. And you might think that the reason he's going to get up and do it, even though it's inconvenient because hospitality dictates, Jesus says it's not hospitality rules, it's the friend's shameless boldness and pounding on the door in the middle of the night that's going to get him to come up and answer the door. I don't know. Maybe this guy just says, this is inconvenient and I'm mad you did it, but I just respect some shameless boldness. Like, I don't really get the logic of it. Maybe the guy kept pounding on the door and it was the only way he could get him to go away. Jesus draws out the significance of it for us. the, The man gets this thing that he needs. He has this need in the night. It may seem like an inconvenient time and he just goes out and asks. And Jesus says, I want you to pray like that. Be bold in your prayers. And on the flip side, he doesn't draw it out explicitly, but we can see the implication that, that God compares to the man in the house. We come to God and he's never inconvenienced, never annoyed at our good requests. And you can come and you can pound on the door and you can pound on God's chest and come to him with boldness. Jesus draws this out explicitly. He says, ask, seek, knock. If you ask, name your specific requests before God. He doesn't want you to be vague. Name it. What's the thing in your mind? What's the thing bothering you? What's the thing you desire? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. Seek God's face in prayer. And this picture's persistence, too. Is there something you want? Sometimes you just pray for something. It's a one-off, and it's done. But there are other things, and it's right to keep on and keep on praying and persisting. Sometimes God wants to draw out of us this seeking so that it creates this dependence and to really draw out of us how badly we want something. And if you seek, he promises you will find. And then, hearkening to the parable itself, knock and the door will be opened to you. Assumption here in all of this is in as far as we do this according to God's will, you're going to receive it. You're going to find it. The door is going to be open. But he wants us to be bold, to not just resign ourselves. Oh God, I want these things. And I guess if it's your will, then maybe it'll happen. And amen. And carry on. You see, be bold, be specific, and be persistent. This boldness, it makes me think back time years ago. I was on a board of an organization we're at a transitional, important transitional time in the life of that uh, institution, and we needed a new leader. We had somebody we thought was perfect. The process went so far, and then they, they backed out, and we were kind of bewildered by that. We didn't know where we were going to go. We'd already done so much searching. And then, in the providence of God, a candidate reemerged who earlier we thought, if only we could get that person in didn't work out, they weren't interested, then came back across our path and now we're interested. Went down this whole process. It was at the point, literally, just all we had to do was have him show up and sign the contract. 
And then he received news that his wife had a health scare and was going, undergoing some tests. And if those tests turned out negatively, or, or sorry, if they, if they came back the wrong way, he was going to have to back out of this and care for his wife, absolutely as he should have. We sat around at a board meeting this afternoon, again bewildered by this. We're thinking, oh no, we've been here before and we were sure this was God's will for us. And so someone said, let's take some time and pray. And we prayed for first place for his wife and her health. And then we prayed. I felt moved to just pray, according to Paul's words, he says, he refers to this time when, when God sent um, his dear friend to spare him sorrow upon sorrow. I said, like, God, we've had many disappointments. Have mercy on us. Do we really have to be disappointed? It, it, you know, just that kind of a prayer. God help us. We finished the prayer time. One of the guys picked up his phone. He'd receive a text during our prayer, and he told the rest of the group, he got a text from the candidate, test came back, all clear, and he's good to come. He came, and we sat around as a board, just around that table, not in silence. And they weren't looking at me, oh, Mike, you crushed that. No, I'm not the hero of that story. God's the hero of that story. It just was an encouragement. You pray with boldness and desperation, God wants us to know he's listening. He answers our prayers according to his will. And very quickly at the end, Jesus he just wants us to search our heart to know, that, like to say, do you believe that God's good? That God's a good father who really wants good things for you? If a father knows how to give, give, give good gifts to your child, your child asks for food, you get, when they ask for help, your kid says, Dad, can I have a piece of fresh sourdough bread and will you cut an apple up on the side? <laughs> like when they're actually asking for something like that for good things, you don't just grant it. You're proud, you have joy that they've asked for what is good and you absolutely want to give it. Jesus is saying, if you know how to do that in your fallen condition, how much more the loving Father? So much of the Christian life is about learning what that good is. and then learning how to pray for that. And when you do, you can have the confidence that the good Father is going to give what He knows that you need. So Jesus calls us to follow His example, His life of prayer, to pray this foundational Lord's Prayer as a rhythm affecting all areas of your life according to God's kingdom priorities. As you look at your own rule of life, there's certain specific questions to ask and figure out and revisit. Like, you know, what time of day is the best for you to pray? Do you do written prayers, freestyle? Is it a combination? Do you write out your prayers? Do you kneel? Do you sit? Do you go for a walk in the woods or through town? You've got to find out, like, what, how are you wired? There's freedom here. What are your set-apart times to get alone with God? When do you pray with other people? How do you carry on ongoing conversation with God? What does your rhythm like? Can you describe it? Is there, can you identify one, two aspects, areas where you want to grow your prayer life this week and in the coming weeks? And as you engage in these rhythms, let Jesus shape your prayer. 
Let him tune your priorities to the kingdom of God and hear him urging you to pray with boldness, with persistence, with confidence. The Father loves you. He hears you. He'll answer according to what is good. Our Father, we do thank you for your love, for your care, and that you invite us into this life of deepening communion with you. Our spirits are willing. We want to pray. Our flesh is weak. We need your help. Give us that help in understanding ourselves and cultivating healthy rhythms and help us, Lord, to trust your goodness and your love that you're listening. In Jesus' name, amen.